Welcome to the On Your Marks podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Wood from GW Active. This is the podcast where we chat to the founders, leaders, and innovators behind the brands that inspire you to get on your starting blocks. The world of sport is competitive by nature, and a business that underpins it often has an interesting story behind it. And with this podcast, we aim to get an insight into those that drive it forward. On this episode of the On Your Marks podcast, I chat to Hub, the founder of Tenzing. In 2016, Hub launched Tenzing Natural Energy, a plant-based, low-calorie alternative to mainstream energy drinks. Tenzing is now available in over 6,000 stores in the UK and launched in four different countries. After kickstarting his career at Unilever, Hub moved to MTV Networks and then for eight years he was head of marketing for Red Bull in the UK and Europe. He's also published his own book, The Social Brand, and was voted top 10 self-made men by GQ magazine in 2017. We started the conversation by asking Hub about his younger years. I'm Dutch, so I was born in Rotterdam, but I've always moved around a lot. So I was moved to South Africa when I was seven. I lived and lived there for about four years, which was a, you know an amazing time actually, because uh, it was like in, in near Johannesburg, but it was like, I all remember like it was always playing in rivers that were run dry and it was very outside outdoors kind of life which I really enjoyed. And then I moved back to Holland when I was 11. I was actually one of my depressed years because then all of a sudden it was rainy and it was just less nature, right? So you know, playing with marbles was the king things that kids did my age. Well, back in South Africa, I was literally being like, you know, Tarzaning through through like, <laughs> like jung- small jungles and nature. So that was a really great time. And I really kind of, I think I got a lot with that in me, my whole love for nature. And then I kind of was in, um, yeah, lived in Holland and different places. And then I lived in Mexico for a year as well when I was 18, uh, which was amazing, uh, really cool time. And um, then I went back to university in, in Holland um, and yeah, just started, started working at Unilever. So that was kind of always thought, you know, kind of, I love the whole psychology and philosophy and creativity and, you know, and I thought marketing was probably one of the best jobs for that. But then after six years, you never kind of missed that creativity and I moved to MTV. Um, so that was really cool. I was there actually responsible for one of the first ever social media platforms uh, to manage that. So that was really interesting. And I actually spoke to an ex-MTV colleague yesterday on Clubhouse. And I said, actually, Clubhouse is just like those old chat rooms. Now, I don't know how old you are, but that was like the beginning of the social internet. It was like chat rooms. And you'd meet each other in a chat room and a chat room would be full or you'd call someone on a landline and say, oh, what chat room are you in? And then you'd meet them there. It was really funny. So actually the clubhouse is really close to that. Actually, it's like just not chat rooms. It's like being presented as this massive new thing, but yeah. it reminded me of those days. And then I moved to uh, Red Bull um, and I was there for eight years, which was an amazing time. I was uh, head of marketing for, for Holland to start off with. And then I moved to the UK. I was head of marketing for, um, for the UK and Europe. Uh, and uh, yeah, then I lived in, in, in London for about 10 years uh, where I launched Tenzing as well. So I launched Tenzing, my own brand, my own business. So after about eight years, I had Red Bull. I loved the brand. I love the people there. I still speak to a lot of them. Uh, but, you know, I just kind of didn't, the, the product didn't sit well with me. You know, I wasn't drinking it for the last year I was there. And I thought it should be possible to create energy that is plant-based, low-calorie and sustainable. That was my, my, my goal five years ago. And um, yeah, extremely tough to start off any business, uh, especially in the beginning. Like, you know, if you come from a rather big job where you can get meetings with everyone, 
and you move to like a startup no one knows, you just can't get any meetings at all with anybody. And it's quite tough, you know, it's emotionally actually, you know, tougher than I thought even. I knew it was going to be the case, but like emotionally it's quite tough. But it's been an amazing, but it is also the fun thing about starting your business, the roller coaster that is so cool. You know, and I think I kind of learned early on that you have the, the highs are so high because the lows are, are so low. You can't, you can't have those highs without the lows. Cause you, I was in the beginning, I think, oh, if only could have the highs and none of the lows, but they're connected, right? Mm. So I think that was, that helped. Although when you're in a low, it still feels very low, right? <laughs> it's not, but then you can kind of, you know, ease yourself out with the, with the knowledge that there will probably be a high still coming somewhere along the line. So I've really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been just an amazing journey where I learned so much and I've got a great team now and we've been the, the fastest growing uh, energy drink for the last three years in a row so uh, yeah going really fast um, we're now the first carbon neutral carbon negative energy drink in the world we're actually the first energy drink or even first soft drink in the world that's going to be carbon labeling labeling uh, their, uh on our cans and on our outer packs so we're basically going to be the first one that totally comes clean and say we have nothing to hide this is our carbon footprint and of course we do everything to minimize that then and offset uh, the footprint that we that we have Oh, it's very interesting, and we'll come back to a few of those points later on. But just going back to, to your younger years, you moved around a lot when you were a kid. What did your parents do? Uh, so my dad, funny enough, also worked for Unilever. Oh. So uh, I didn't get a leg up or anything. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. <laughs> so there's big companies. But he was always, actually, I was funny if looking at my, I've got a brother and a sister, and he was always telling these kind of marketing stories. And I was the only one who really loved them. So I remember when I uh, when I started working, it was like, you know, when you're like 25, you want to, I was still kind of in the, I don't want to follow in my dad's footsteps, but I, I thought I want to work there anyway. Because from a marketing perspective in Holland, it was one of the coolest companies to work for at the time. Um, so I reluctantly kind of, you know, I liked the job, but I didn't want it to be my dad's the same. But then looking back when you could like distance yourself from all those kind of wanting, to, I actually just think it was the perfect uh, kind of job for me. And so, yeah, that's what he, and so he always loved his job. Um, and that's also what, you know, I think got my passion going for, uh, for that kind of, the, the, that discipline. Were you sporty at school? Did you play sport or were you, were you keen on that kind of thing? Yeah, I was always uh, annoyingly kind of the, um, the sports I really truly enjoyed it only discovered later in life. So my, my favorite sports by far, like skiing, snowboarding, uh, you know, surfing, all those sports and running as well. Funny enough, running is one of the sports actually in really only started just fairly recently, like, you know, five, six years ago, although I did a couple of marathons when I was like 20, <laughs> but those were just like, well, quite skinny. So I could like I could relatively easy do a marathon like when I was younger and uh, and I did it under four hours, which you like with hardly any practice. But I just did that for the fun of it. Went to New York twice, a lot of friends. Um, uh, was we did it with work at the time. So, but I literally didn't run at all afterwards or you know anymore. But now I've really kind of discovered that as well. But I, I just love that kind of all movement based sports and kind of also ball sports. But that's what you do as more as a kid. You go like football, tennis which I like, but not as much as I like, like skiing or surfing or um, any of that. Yeah, like I said, I do a lot of skateboarding now with my son as well, also discovered yeah. that very late. You've got that surf skates, you know, that's relatively new. So the, it's like a, a skateboard, but it kind of has the surfing element. Uh, so I kind of don't have to start all over again because I'm a reasonable surfer. Not great, but reasonable. And uh, yeah, it's a great way to kind of keep that going. 
No, definitely. Yeah, but it's keeping it on your toes for sure. Um, yeah. When you were um, when you were younger, you, I looked into your background on LinkedIn, and you went to Harvard, didn't you? Uh, you went to London Business School as well, so you kind of got a, a couple of good qualifications there. Like, how did that come about going to Harvard, especially being based in Europe? Uh, it was one of those. Um, uh, I think you could kind of you know, you just could apply. I've always loved, like I like you can notice on my working life, just loved the idea of being in different places and, you know, getting new experiences. Um, and I think, I, I remember once, actually that was after I went to Harvard. I remember I had a, I was, we had a backdoor neighbor and their tree was kind of coming into our house, you know, one of those classic neighbor things. So we went, we went, I went there and I knocked on their door and they were really friendly people. And I think they were like literally close to their hundreds. They're both, like this and they'd lived there i think one one of them was their it was their parents house and one they basically married i think it was the dad's parent or the guy's parents house and he got married and this tree and they had this conversation about this tree and they had no idea which decade they they planted it in and i've always thought you know memories and experiences if you live in the same house in the same place the rest of your life it's going to be, you're going to be looking, also when you're in it, also looking back, it's going to be one big blur. Mm. And I'm a big believer in creating those, you know, I'm going to look back. And I always say that to the team, I work like, you know, attending. also my previous jobs, like I want I want people to look, even if they would leave, not many people do, but even if they would leave, I want them to look back at that tensing time and think that's amazing. And I've always thought, you know, you know, so I, spent, I just did a, I just applied. I did a, you could do a kind of a one semester there, or was that about three or four months? And applied and I got in and I was just like, you know, and it was a great time being in Boston and that's, you know, just, and I was also, like, there was a lot of, um, you know, rollerblading going on at the time, which wasn't really happening in Europe. So I did a lot of that. Obviously, you know, the university was great, but it's also just like meeting lots of people. And, you know, it's just a great experience. And when you were kind of, you finished your universities and you did all that stuff and then you start working at Unilever, you're working on a variety of products, I imagine. And, yeah. and then why was it Red Bull that kind of took you away from, from that? And what was it about them that you thought, that's exciting. I want to be part of that. Oh, well, I went to MTV first. Ah, sorry, I missed that, yeah. Yeah, and that was one of those funny things because also that is kind of being a bit influenced, of course, by, by your parents because MTV, like when I was young, MTV was really cool. And, um, uh, you know, obviously it was pre-YouTube and it was like where you discovered all the new music. And, um, and I didn't even know you could work there. I just thought it was like this cool brand. And then when they reached out, uh, I was like, wow, is this even, you know, so I, I, I really went for it because I kind of that unique, there was, I learned a lot and a lot of my good friends are still from there. Um, but at the one point, also when you move up a bit, you become more of a manager and less of the creative side. And I've always really enjoyed the creative side. At MTV, I was actually responsible for the for the branding, the marketing, but also for the creative. So I had a team of creatives. So like a sound engineer and like, a, you know, motion graphics designers. So, uh, and then the, the whole, that whole social media platform. So for me, that was just like a kind of a nearly a no-brainer. Although from a career perspective, that's also so interesting, I think. I remember thinking, because when you're at like a big company, a big multinational, you get all these yearly reviews and then you're kind of earmarked for this and this. And then you, they say, well, you basically know what you're going to be doing for the years to come. And, you know, it was going well. So, you know, I knew uh, where I was going to be. At. And then I thought MTV, that would be the end of my career. But I thought I'm going to go for it anyway, because, um, because I read like when I came there, I was already quite high up and then there was no real places to go. So I was like, okay, but I'm just going to do it. 
and then looking back that was an amazing career move actually because then Red Bull came along and they were just kind of they were looking to transition their business also from more of a drinks business to like a media company so I had the perfect kind of background of course having kind of that fast moving consuming goods stuff and the media and creativity and so that was a perfect match and looking back it was a great move but at the time I think that's a great lesson I think just to follow your passion and really do what you love because you know, you might think you're doing a smart move for your future life, but it might not even end up that way. And then you start you're doing stuff you don't love. And so I think yeah. that was... Uh, what, what, that age was were, what age were you when you did that? So when you made the move from uh, Unilever to MTV and then to, to Red Bull, what, what age in life were you? Um, so, well, the big difference with the UK and, um, and, and Holland is that you go to uni a lot longer. Mm. So I was only, I, only, I only started working when I was 26. Well, I think in the UK, everyone's like 21 because yeah. everyone, in, everyone in Holland that goes to uni does their masters. So that's a, that's a big difference. Somehow, I don't know how that came about. I've never really kind of dove into that. It's like just in the UK, it's like not a thing to do, right? And in Holland, it's like, you can't, you can't, you would, let's say you wouldn't be able to work for a company like a, you know, if you just did your bachelor, Panina. So it's just, it's really strange. So, but, but the good thing I think about that is that you just get to you go to uni longer, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> so I think I think it's a kind of in that sense a better model, and you learn a lot lot more on the side, and you know you do things. So so I was uh, I started twenty six, then I was like thirty three when I moved to MTV, and then I was like uh, I was only at MTV for about two and a half years, and I think like thirty five or something when I moved thirty thirty five when I went to Red Bull. So and you were at Red Bull for like was it seven years? Was it I think I worked in eight, yeah seven or eight years yeah. Seven, yeah. So I was actually I was there yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, 34. Yeah, and so I was 42 when I started my own business. So do you think that the reason why you started your own business was because of your age? Or do you think it was because in terms of like, you've had some life experiences, you think, right, I'm going to take control of, of my destiny this way. Or do, did you think it was because of the experiences that you had that led you to the point where you thought it's a no brainer? Which one was it? Uh, I think it's always a mix. I actually started one business before. Uh, during my time, actually, right at the end of my Unilever time, I was just a bit bored, like I said, with the call, and I needed more creativity. So I started my own business, really cool, in socks. So it was like an online, and it was really, when the internet was just starting, I always said, we're going to create a, uh, you know, we're going to create a new fashion brand, and we start at the bottom of socks. And the socks at the time were like totally unfashionable. They were either white or like black, or whatever. Hmm. And we started all these kind of quirky designs. And it was really cool. It's called, uh, it was like a Dr. Finkelbaum and you'd, they'd, he'd subscribe you as socks. So you'd have to do this really fake psychological test with all this, what do you see here? Is it carrots or is it? And then you'd get like a sock subscriber. You've got them here. So, hey. <laughs> it was really cool because like, you know, you said, you know, these warning signs like wear once daily with clothes or avoid wearing socks in the shower, they may get wet. So it was really kind of a fun thing. But then, but my main learning from that was but I also, then I moved to MTV, then I moved to Red Bull. And that, once I was at Red Bull, I loved that job so much that this just became like real side thing. So I think the two things I learned from that venture was it's good to know the industry that you're going to launch a business in. You know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, it's better not to know anything because then you come in with a clear mind. Yeah, there's something special about that, but I think there's a massive advantage of knowing the business, right? Or at least having within that business a certain asset that no one else has. And I didn't really have that in the online world, to be honest, and also not in fashion. So online world, I wasn't really strong in because it was like, you know, pre my uh, MTV time as well. 
and the and this fashion. So I think you've got to know your stuff. And secondly, you've got to fully commit because I didn't fully commit. I think it actually could have worked. You know, Happy Socks, the brand Happy Socks? It was kind of the same concept. We launched a year earlier than them. So I, th- I think if we, the concept was good, you know, Socks is a perfect, that's a perfect product to sell online. And it's light, you don't have to wear, you don't have to, you know, try it on. So I think it could have worked, but we, we would have had to go all in and, and I didn't. So that, those are the two th- key things I learned there. So when I was, um, um, there's two reasons I started my own business. I think it was, first of all, um, I saw an opportunity, right? I think that's always crucial to kind of think, okay, um, you know, I think people people are shifting, right? So when when Red Bull launched or when Coca-Cola launched years ago, no one cared that these products were full of sugar and made with artificial ingredients, right? And I think, but now people do care. And actually, interestingly, you know, those three trends that I kind of based my, you know, or that I was passionate about is, you know, from plants, low calorie and sustainable, they've only massively grown in the last five years. So, so I think opportunity, like a good product idea. And secondly, I just love the, you know, creative freedom. You know, I've said the word creative a lot of times. <laughs> I know it's already, but I just thought that if there is something about a career, which is interesting is that when I when you start and you see that marketing director, and I always thought, oh, I want to be that person because then you just have creative freedom and, and less politics and less people telling you what to do. But funny enough, it's actually the other way around. It's like the disillusion of career, I, I would actually say. So the higher you get up, the more politics because more your job becomes more important. So they check it more. And uh, you know, so funny enough, if you're just a junior brand manager work brand manager working on a on a brand. You've actually got a relatively a lot of a lot of freedom. You don't think you have. Yeah. So I was just like ready to kind of just have my own thing. I wanted to be totally free. I've never liked bosses. I've had great bosses and I've got still a good relationship with them. But the whole principle, I'm very kind of anti-hierarchy. And that's also cool what we did at Tenzing. I thought, okay, I don't want to be the only one that benefits now. Uh, so we've created the total flat structure and no, no management. Uh, everyone chooses their own boss, which which we which we call coach. So you choose a coach. After three months in, you kind of decide, I want that coach. And then you can always, you can always fire your coach. You can always say, I'm not getting enough out of him or her. And then you can take someone else. So it's, it's, and it's quite funny because it's, it gives a whole, a whole different dynamic. So we had a relatively you know, new, people, new, new person come into the team, Belle. And then after three months, like, who do you want as your coach? And she said, oh, I want to, I'd like to have Katie as my coach. And I called Katie. She's like, wow, I've got amazing news. Belle chose you. And she was like super excited. It's more like an honor to be chosen. As, the, as, as, as opposed to saying, Matt, you're now the boss of that person. And you're like, yes, and you want to build your team. And, you've, and I also, I was also guilty of that because when I was like, oh, I want a bigger team. And uh, I was always, you know, how people say that, you know, they was going in career like, yeah, I've got this, I've got this budget and I've got this, this team, right? They're like, oh, 100 people now. You know, I don't think it's really relevant. Uh, and it doesn't motivate if you're just kind of, you know, it's sort of kind of a way to check. So I think those are the two, two key things, creative freedom, and kind of personal freedom. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. when you started the brand, when you started Tenzi, was did you start alone? I know you say co-founder. And who did you start with, and how did that conversation come about? Yeah, no, so I didn't have any co-founders in the beginning. I just started myself. Oh, okay. Um, it was um, yes, yeah, so it was just like I just started like you know recipe. Uh, you know, that's where you, I think the beginning bit. So that was really cool, actually. It's one of my favorite stories, of course, from Tenzing is that I was like, 
I knew it was had to be, you know, from plants. So I had to kind of find what is the recipe, what are those ingredients? Because interestingly enough, at a company like Red Bull, the product is really taken, you know, very far away from you. You never get to see how it's made or um, so the whole product development side of things. I so I had to kind of really look at like how do you get that same kind of uplift from a plant. So I got a lot of, but that's also the cool thing. If you start your own business, actually, there is a lot of people that were willing to help you out. And I got a, uh, you know, there was, um, you know, Matt, who was an ingredient scientist. And then I had a doctor who was like a nutritional doctor. So I got in touch with those two people and they helped me. And then interestingly enough, I was traveling and in Asia and I found out that the Sherpas drink and the Sherpas are most, I don't know if you know, uh, they're the most famous for helping people, you know, climb Everest or, you know, so they live in, in the Himalayas. And they have a, you know, the Sherpa tea. So it's a really strong tea with salt and they have like a lemon tea. And I immediately called my doctor. I was like, an initial doctor. And I said, is this kind of a cultural thing or does it make sense from a, you know, because obviously it's the most strenuous like life they would you could probably imagine, right? They're like living at great altitude, you know, uh, you know carrying, like, you, know, you know, they have to carry stuff up as opposed to kind of, they can't drive things to their like uh, places where they live. Um, and he says that makes quite a lot of sense because it's natural caffeine, vitamin C, and electrolytes, and that then became the basis of uh, our recipe. And then I thought, okay, um, Tenzing immediately came to me, and it was one of those kind of spiritual moments, nearly, because coming up with a name is the most difficult thing ever because everything is taken. And I thought Tenzing, and it was still available. And I called this kind of, uh, you know, what do you call it, trademark lawyer? And I said, can I, you know, do any permission of the, of the family? And he said, no, you don't, because Tenzing is just a very, it's a quite common name. Uh, the Dalai Lama is also called Tenzing. Um, so, but I was like, yeah, but this one is actually inspired by Sherpa Tenzing. So I do want permission. He goes, oh, I wouldn't do it because, you know, and that's where I got contact with them anyway. And then my whole family ended up meeting their whole family and, and they became partners in the business. So that's kind of been a, that's also the beauty, I think, of your own business that you never know what's going to happen next. And that's a big, been an amazing part of the journey. And I speak to them a lot. And uh, yeah, so that, that's really cool. So that's where that, that's where it started, right? The recipe, uh, the name, and then kind of just, cre you know, creates the products and then bring it to markets. And I think about, so I was working alone on it on for about, well, I've taken nearly a year alone. Uh, a little over, uh, and then I got kind of uh, a good, my old, my best friend from uh, my best friend from um, from high school involved, and he was that's named Hans, and he was like you know our logistics guy because uh, you know I'm a very I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses, and logistics is definitely not one of my uh, you know strengths, and he was actually that was his his work, so he kind of did that. Um, which was really cool. And then we slowly, really, I got Jack. And so he was kind of our first UK uh, person on board. And then we kind of slowly built the team from there. No, it's, it's, it's a fantastic um, story and background, especially the link with, with the actual Sherpas and, and, and that side of things. And, uh, but it, from, from a business standpoint, and you're working by yourself there, you've had a long career, obviously very successful in what you did and probably earning a significant amount of money. How did you find the kind of transition back from obviously working full time, earning a good wage to then basically having no income and working by yourself for a year? How did you fund that? And how did you find that uh, mentally? Uh, yeah, so the first one, the first I had to kind of, uh, when I thought, okay, this is, because when I left Red Bull, I wasn't 100% sure I was going to do this. Um, but pretty soon I thought that this is what I want to do. And I've obviously had to get 
my wife on board. That's the kind of first point of call because it would mean a lot of, you know, yeah. Cause like I said, it was a, you know, good job with good, you know, good salary of course involved. So, um, so I, what I did is I made a, uh, like she also, luckily that was also part of the thing that I'll come on later that she was also had a good job. So that kind of helped. But at the end of you got two salaries. Uh, so I did two things and her, her, her background is also kind of marketing. That's how we met actually. And, uh, so I did two things. I looked at all our financial situation. So, you know, with our, you know, income and all that kind of, and my, me not having an income for the, I kind of planned my not having an income for three years. So I just planned that out. Uh, I, you know, so, so where, do, where do we spend all our money? Um, and, and then secondly, the concept. So I made like a PowerPoint presentation. I actually pre presented a proper PowerPoint to her, like standing, you know, presented to so she was, and that's as my first investor. And I remember she said like, uh, so I, we had to move house uh we had to kind of you know i had to take a loan you know you know relatively large loan is you know well about one hundred twenty thousand pounds i realized i need needed um and so loan move house a couple of other things like you know stop our gym membership and all that kind of stuff and then um and then the concept and she said you know i remember she just said yeah i think this is gonna work <laughs> that was her uh, her and then we did it, you know, and I think, you know, to be honest, like, I don't want to kind of complain here because she had a good job, but it's still, it's still, you know, it's still a massive risk, right? At the end of the day. And it's also like from an image perspective, I noticed, you know, because if you have like, a, if you're doing well in your you know, career and then you think if this then, if this kind of fails in front of the whole world, that's what your mind then says, will I be able to get a new job? And there's all these things in your mind saying, and I think that when people start your, their something themselves, and I'm also guilty of that, everyone around you kind of doubts it, I think. Everyone thinks, especially this, also this, this venture, like you know, taking on Red Bull, yeah. taking on Monster, taking on Coca-Cola, taking on Pepsi, you know, that's just impossible, right? You know, so people said that in different versions is like, you know, but no, no one, I think really believes, believes it can work. Mm -hmm. So having my wife to kind of, you know, uh, back me in that way, in a, in a real way, because also from her saying it could work. And secondly, kind of, you know, not, you know, not living, you know, having to move house and all that kind of stuff and taking a loan out, which, you know, at the end of the day, if it all would have gone badly, you know, we would have still been okay, but it would have hurt quite, you know, big, in a big way. All right. So. Yeah. yeah. Was there a point in time where you thought this is, it's going to happen. It's going to work because I imagine the first two or three years, you were kind of just kind of the only person and your wife believing in this project and putting your yeah. own money into it. Was there a point where you think, Right, someone else believes in this. Imagine like an investor comes in or you make your first large sale or something like that. Was that, a, was it a pivotal thing that you can remember? See, it's one of those super interesting things when you like, I'm, I'm really certain, ask me again in five years because I'm, I don't still don't think we're there, right? So yeah, it's so hard. Like obviously there's like moments now because it's way less tough than in the beginning. Like in the beginning, yeah, it's just extremely tough. I remember, I, and I, it was also, I remember I, I would come home and my wife would literally see me on the couch and go, oh no, one of those days wasn't really bad, honey. And because it, I, I've got like hundreds of stories. I remember, so I remember I was just, I just started, it was 2015, I, we started in 2016, but just before Christmas, I had my first cans. And I went to get into Selfridges. Selfridges, you know, it's in the food and drink industry. That's like the, your first point of call. So it won't be massive business for you, but it will be some good starting business. And then that kind of, you know, the, 
that's the kind of trickle down thing. So you go like, we're doing well ourselves, just then you go to Whole Foods and Planet Organic, and then you maybe go to Waitrose and you know, slowly build it from there. So, I, and I send them a couple of mails and, um, you know, one reply, I think, saying she's literally not interested, right? They get so much of these people trying to get in. And then I heard from a friend, he said, you, you can go because the selfish offices are above there at the store. So you can go there and, you know, they have to come down. It's like a principal thing. <laughs> so I went there and it was like rainy and cold. And I, li- I didn't even have a cool packaging. Like even if I look at actually my, my sock packaging, it was cooler than what I had. Like, I literally had my two pans. And, um, um, and he came down and he was still, he's still on the stairs. He saw me with my cans and he said, I told you I wasn't interested. And he walked back up. And I, I didn't even take my cans. I was like, I literally cried. I went outside and I cried. I was like, because not only, I didn't think, I wasn't, I wasn't crying because of like, you know, that moment. I was just crying because like, this is never going to work. Right? What did I do? So I think you have those doubts so often where you go, is this, the, that's the main question. That's your main, I think, you know, when people say, what's the horrible thing about start, startups? Like, is it getting enough money in? Is it get, I think the main question every founder would have or any entrepreneur would have, like, is this going to work? You know, I think that's the... That's Did you the have an, any ego attached to that? Obviously, you're working in a high-profile job. You have lots of connections around the industry and then going into Selfridges and them saying, no, I don't want to speak to you. Is that kind of an ego blow to you? And did you feel that spurred you on? Or did you feel like, okay, no, I need to take a different tack now? Um, no, it was definitely, you know, I'm always, I was always being, I think I will kind of say I'm kind of practical. And I know like when you're, when you're got a, you know, an influential job, let's say, well, it's the main people, why I could meet everyone because we had massive budgets. We had a big name. So why would people want to meet me? I knew of course that they didn't want to meet me because I am me. They wanted of course meet me because the job I was in. So, you know that. But to emotionally also feel it, like if you've been there for eight years and also you have like kind of, it feels like you have no job because you're starting this thing that's not making any money. So it's, it's emotionally really tough, but it's also kind of, I think it was really good because it's like, it kind of, you know, it's really cleansing somehow because you just do notice how much ego and, uh, you know, image is attached to that job. You know, it was one of those one of those did well in the pub jobs, right? If you can say, oh, I made a market for Europe at a Red Bull. So, you know, and then just kind of letting that go, I think was, you know, painful, but also, um, I think great. But it's one of those moments when you look back, it's great. <laughs> in the moment, it was tough. But actually one of the interesting things you asked on that as well, um, how I also helped fund it. So I wrote a book uh, on, on this, it's called The Social Brand. And it, it's about like, about how I believe kind of business should be done and about giving people things of true value. And, you know, like, uh, I can, we've got a couple of examples, but I wrote a book on that. And then when I left Red Bull, I didn't write it under my own name because Red Bull was okay with me writing it, but they didn't want me to put on it because they were like afraid that it would seem like it was the secrets of Red Bull I was giving away. But it was just my own theory. Uh, and I put it in the book. So when I left Red Bull, I, re, uh, um, uh, I put it out there under my own name. And then I actually found a, I went to uh, London Speaker Bureau signed me for being a speaker. Oh, wow. And that is actually how I, it was a key thing, how I funded the business because I, it was the loan and then the speaking job. I could obviously do that from the Tenzing Limited, 
So you didn't have to like, it wasn't my money that I had to like, I did a job, had to pay tax on and then put in the business. It was just like, you know, it was income that then was obviously kind of, you know, that income was taken away by all the losses we were making at Tenzing. So it was a really great way. I always recommend that actually to try and find some alternative form of income. So I think, you know, like when I said with my socks, I didn't fully commit, but now I fully committed, uh, 100% psychologically committed to this thing. But at the same time, you know, you have to be like smart about it and don't go like spending loads of money or trying to get funding. I bootstrapped for a long time because of this. I could actually do fund it myself because I did the speaking jobs. And but, but the speaking jobs didn't only bring money in. What they also did is like for my, you know, like kind of, I would say like ego, you know, because it was, I was, it's literally trenches work, right? You get like shut down all the time. No one replies to your emails ever. And then you can go on a stage and it can be like people could come to you and go, oh, that was really inspiring. So it was like really nice for me to like feel human again, nearly have proper connection as opposed to companies. So it was really, it was really helpful for me that emotionally to do that on the side. That's really interesting how you kind of wrote a book off the back of your Red Bull stuff. And then you've kind of like, it's almost like a manifesto for your kind of ethos, which you've then kind of yeah. hopefully rolled out into, into your own brand. And it's kind of a, it's, it's like it's like you planned it that way almost yeah what? it is i was thinking about the other day it's like the other way around because usually people like launch a successful business and then write a book about it i wrote the book about how to do it and then i did it so uh, you know maybe it'll become a bestseller one day because <laughs> <laughs> it is funny it is actually the theory that we still very much hold attending yeah yeah i, I actually looked into it on amazon before because I, I just spotted it on your profile and then uh, it was quite interesting and you wrote it in 2014 and i thought that's a bit strange that's before we started the brand and i was trying to put it all together but it makes a lot of sense now and yeah. it's a great way to kind of fund your business by by doing those extra bits of work to kind of feed into it because it all relates and building your profile up it helps as well so yeah in that sense i mean that was like the perfect like i said it was the perfect uh, side job of course because it's relatively little time um you know it brings in some money and exactly, it's like, it's good for the kind of, you know, emotional well-being. Hmm. And it's also, um, you know, great for the profile building as well. So you kind of build that. And funny enough, I was just, because I was just on Clubhouse the other day about like being vulnerable on stage. Funny enough, it actually helped my speaking as well. Because I felt so vulnerable in real life, I was automatically bringing that vulnerability on the stage. And that's why the, you know, the, all the, the speeches and the keynotes were really well received. Because I was just telling what the bat, how the battle was. And so hmm. I think that's that kind of helped each other. Is that something you're still doing now? Are you still taking on those kind of... Well, obviously, due to Corona, that's not really... Yeah. Uh, so I did slowly, surely kind of build it down, you know, when Tensing was just getting bigger. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, we didn't need it to fund the cash flow anymore. And we didn't kind of... And I also needed it less from an emotional point of view because now I've got like these lot of great talks. <laughs> so you just feel a bit normal again. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just, I, but I still do it. I still, if it's nice and I, I do, I do enjoy doing it. Funny enough, now it's gone to uh, online. I don't enjoy it as much. I've done a couple like, uh, it's still, it's still good, but it's different if you're standing in front of a crowd and get real questions and yeah. The nerves. Yeah. You get the nerves. And, uh, yeah. Nerves. I'm actually, I'm actually better actually, I think live than uh, in, like um, clubhouse or on the screen. I, I like just the energy, you know, and the interaction with people. That's interesting. And, and one of the things I was thinking as you're starting the business and you did it by yourself and you got to the point now where you're hiring staff, how did you identify the different people to employ to fill the gaps in that you didn't have? I, your background's marketing. You're obviously an expert in that field. How did you find those people to, to fill in the finance, the, the operational, that sort of stuff? Is it literally a case of 
a job other outfit that I know you mentioned your friend worked for you in operations. You brought him in early early doors. He might have been Jack. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the other people, the finance people, that sort of stuff. How have you done that? Uh, yeah. So I think I think I'm I'm re- I would say really good at knowing my weaknesses and strengths, and I think um, I think that's crucial like for any. Uh, you know, in an interview, by the way, if I, I always ask the classic question, what are your good, what are your, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And if people can't come up with a weakness for me, that's an immediate no-go. Um, so I think it's just so important to know because obviously everyone has them. So if you don't, if you don't know them, or if you try to sugarcoat them, like I always hate, I, if there's someone goes, oh yeah, I'm too, there's the standard one, right? I'm too nice. Perfectionist. I want to do everything so well. I'm like, no, not the perfectionist one. Give me the real one, right? And some people have it as a real one, you know, and then it is actually a weakness, right? If you just assume you don't don't actually make something because you're just working on it too long. So it can be a real one, but then it would have to like find out that is actually the one. But I think, uh, yeah, so just kind of knowing what you're good at uh, and also where I lack experience in that sense. And then also using your network, right? I think, um, uh, interestingly enough, when we were just talking about you asked before like what age i was and uh, 42 is actually the average age people start their business so people have an always an idea of like you know it's a big harvard business review came out and 42 is the average age and i think it makes a lot of sense actually and then 45 is probably the most successful age that people start the business obviously and all the young people get all the attention so all the zuckerbergs and you know because that's what's 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 news right oh youngest billionaire from india now whatever because he launched bramble i don't know you know so those are people and, and, and that's good but it's also not good because i think it makes especially young people quite anxious because you think oh shit you know i haven't launched my business especially also now on clubhouse it's like you know everyone's like an entrepreneur and speaker ceo blah, blah. Uh, there, was, there was a guy the other day who just said oh yeah i just want sorry yeah thanks for putting my say i'm actually i've got a corporate job i'm really afraid to say but i love it i truly <laughs> like my corporate job it's like he's going to you're the entrepreneur so i think it's good to kind of wait and have that experience because I think it makes total sense because you've still got all the energy you need, right? I don't feel I have less. I definitely don't have less energy than I had when I was like 25, but you've got all the extra experience. You've got a huge networks usually by that time. Mm. And so also from a, so, you know, so I think when you're hiring staff, it's about, you know, knowing what you can't do yourself, knowing where you really need extra expertise and other, you know, skills and mindsets, uh, and then basically using your network, we found very little of the team. Um, let's let me think. I think only no two. Yeah, two we found through a recruitment agency. You know, so oh. Jake. Uh, yeah, I think Anna, or is it maybe also? Yeah, I think two. Yeah, and the rest is all through friends and friends or like or people I knew. Uh, so I think yeah, it's it's a combination. I think if you know someone, it's just obviously more easy to kind of uh, and also for my kind of my life my head of sales role that was an important role it's always a scary role as well i think because you expect so we had that a bit that stress in the beginning his name's pim and he's a really really good guy i knew him from my red bull days um and he um you know he yeah, i think when you hire i had actually another friend who just also launched this hired a sales guy and i think what's it scary about a sales role is you just expect a lot from them Mm. because you want them to sell earn their salary back which is obviously very difficult and it takes years so in the first year we were like oh so it was, it was we went through like ups and downs but i think you know he's an amazing guy and he's really kind of now it's obviously very clear what, what he's added to the business but in the beginning I, you know you just you were, i was expecting a lot and so you know i think there is also ups and downs in you know in, in teams but i think we, we, we've had, we've got an amazing team 
and uh, yeah, I think everyone's just su super committed. And uh, yeah, we're 12 people, so we're, we're a small team. And uh, yeah, it's just a really cool journey to be on. I was going to say, like, you've got this structure that you said it was a flat structure and there's no hierarchy within it. And obviously you're going to get to a point in time with, with the growth you've had over the next few years where you'll be going into different regions, Middle East, Asia, that sort of stuff, and uh, the US. And you're going to have to have different uh, teams in different areas that you can't see every day. How do you think you, you're going to be able to scale the team that you've got to be able to do those types of things? And then do you think your ethos of a flat structure will be um, not as important? Um, or are you going to kind of reward your 12 people now with, with that kind of managerial team role and then have it filtered down? I'm just intrigued by that. Yeah, so I'm really kind of keen to, there is a lot of theory, uh, this book being written about it. And uh, I did a lot of, because it's funny that if you don't have a structure, like don't have a hierarchy structure, let's say, you do have to replace that with a different structure, right? It's not just like a free-for-all, which is, you know, mm. so... Um, but I think that there's a couple of just really interesting things that we really do as a team. So one of the key things I've, I'm also always key, why I'm also a big believer in it is, um, you know, I've seen, you know, a couple of billionaires in my life and I've seen a couple of like people that are high up. And, you know, I think, you know, I haven't even experienced it in myself where you start believing, start believing in your own legend. You know, I think, you know, and, and, and people are just laughing at your jokes a bit more than they, <laughs> than they should. <laughs> You know, and then before you know, you think you're really funny. So I think uh, <laughs> I think the key is to kind of really get feedback, to constantly get feedback from your team. And I think we we've uh, and to say for them to say to me as well, and say to everyone, like God, you know, you're not doing so well there. So we've got so so those kind of principles we've put in place. So the, there's a couple of principles. For instance, yeah, you choose your own coach, which because has in some aspects a, a boss type role because he he or she. Uh, would say, hey, this was your commitment, Matt. We call them commitments, not targets. So you commit to them. So it is, I'm always a big believer in language as well. Uh, so it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't say a consumer. I just say a person, right? Who likes yeah. music. Not, I hate those kind of words. Um, so, you know, so having, so you have your, you choose your coach and they would have like, a, so they would say, look, Matt, you know, if I say, say you chose me, I said, look, God, you said you do this, you haven't, right? So there is that, a bit of that going on um but then again because you choose them you can always say well i don't want i don't want this he's, he's, you know he's not you know he's not helping me he's not supporting me now um and then secondly what we do how we decide salaries is also an important one of course because those are the key things like so, so how do you like how do you make sure you keep, keep stick to the commitments how do you how do you decide salaries if it's not top down and we've gone through a couple of experiments we did last year we did everyone decide their own salary so i thought I don't, I don't, I'm not going to decide that this is not how I ever decide. And that totally backfired. <laughs> I was like a pure, like, I was one of an existential crisis after that. I was one of my toughest periods, actually, because I, I thought everyone would just be, um, it was based on a really psychological, like wrong thinking from my end, because no one will say, look, I'll just take, I'll just, because we had a pot. We said, look, this is the pot and, and, we, and you can divide it. So you kind of knew you couldn't ask for whatever. But no one, of course, goes, well, and now, because also we've got a really, you know, everyone in the team's great. You know, everyone does a great job. So you're not going to go, well, I'll just take a little less and Matt can have some more this year. Yeah. You know, so that's just not how it works. So that was kind of, it was just based, it was fundamentally wrong thinking from my end and therefore it kind of didn't work. So what we've done now is we said, okay, you get a, you get, we do a lot of these speed feedback sessions 
which is really cool. Every quarter we do like the th speed feedback. So, and, and we're really good at it. It's actually very exhilarating because you just got five minutes. You're not allowed to speak back as well. You know, when you say, well, Matt, you should do that better. And then, well, well how about you? <laughs> you get a lot of that in normal feedback rounds. So you're not allowed to speak back. You just take it in. You're only allowed to ask questions. And also that works because it's so short. And then at the end of the year, half year, and then the year, you get a, like a proper review by the team. And we have four leadership qualities we've defined within Tenzing. So that is uh, connect, shape, uh, develop, and deliver. You know, so those that we said are, and you, you just say, uh, if someone does, a, you know, five points far above expected, you know, above expected, you know, as expected. And I, I even got like a two on one of them this year, right? So from on average, from, so that's really bad. And I, I, was one of them, I was the lowest in that one. Um, and you know, it was in, it was in connect because also I was kind of you know because of the corona I wasn't kind of you know connecting with people enough. Uh, and I'm, I'm so and then on one hand I'm like okay I've got to do something but I'm not insulted I'm just really happy that they just are honest and open me with me like that and I think that's very something very special. So I think and then it also just keeps you me sane and me you know good. Um, so I think you know so those kind of aspects and and then based on your score. You get uh, so so so. There's two measures salary. You have your commitments, and you just look at your coach together. You know, have you achieved those commitments? That's quite a, that's quite an objective thing at the end of the day. And then the other, you have your leadership qualities, and based on those two things, you just get assigned the salary. Is it yourself who assigned those salaries, or is it like the experiment you, you did? By the way, we're really interested in how you had the guts to actually do that. Did you actually follow through with it, or did you actually kind of? think, okay, oh, this is a bad idea. We won't do it that way. And do you know what I mean? How did it play out? Because that's really- Yes, yeah, so we just basically said that didn't work. We're not going to do that again. <laughs> but, you, but you did it for a year and you paid everyone- We did, one, we did one, we won one year. So, but now I think it's still kind of the same because but the whole principle of saying, you know, you can just decide whatever you like. I think people just, you know, you just get to, you know, it's like that expectation versus reality is, you know, the difference between expectation and reality is your unhappiness, right? So if your expectation is here and reality is here, that's your unhappiness. So I'm a big believer in that. Well, if your like expectation is here and your reality is there, you're super happy. Yeah. So I think if you just say, you know, oh, you can decide everyone thought, oh, maybe I could go for uh, whatever. <laughs> and I think that just didn't work. So I think the principle of go, Look, it's decided on your uh, leadership. It's decided on your commitments, uh, and then you will get awarded a salary based on that. Yeah, so that's how we do it now. So really it's like again, like every business, like it's trial and error. Nothing doing something like this, and there is obviously. I don't want to kind of all say it's just a free for all. Again, like when it comes to like you know anything that's like the end marketing product, like that we're like looking through now new because we're kind of making carbon labeling as one of our key uh, aspects or we change the design. So obviously I look at that and that is a key thing for me to sign off, right? So I think it should be quite clear. And then, but again, on social, so the other day we were realizing like, you know, there was a Ben and he was so creative in social media. And I realized I was like, you know, working with him too much and not letting his creativity come up in the social, on the social media side. So then I go, okay, I have to step back. And that's why that's why kind of you know the uh, yeah the feedback is so crucial. But you obviously has their own role, and within that role, you just are responsible. Definitely, yeah. And you're obviously a very creative person, and you've you've applied that creativity to build the brand itself and get to the point where you're at now. Do you feel like you're now because of the the experience you just mentioned there? You think you're applying your creative freedom to different elements within a business now? So obviously with the HR side of things and with kind of uh, more building a bigger structure. 
do you feel like you're now thinking about those things more or are you still thinking about the product and the social media and that sort of stuff? I think you want to, that's the cool thing about having your own business. You can rethink everything you want. And exactly that organization for me was really important. Like I said, I just want people to look back at their years of Tenzing and think, wow, that was like, even if we don't make it somehow, that they go like, that was the best experience I've ever had. And, uh, you know, and that's what we're looking at now. We're now having really interesting discussions with the team, like how are we going to go back to an office post Corona? Or we can, you know, I was saying, there's some people, of course, that want to, uh, some people less so, but I was like, you know, that if we just think freely, like what could, with that budget instead of an office, we could go, you know, skiing twice a year or like <laughs> go, go and go to Mallorca and do the triathlon together. And, you know, so yeah, be, it's really interesting to relook at everything. And that's the, uh, that's the cool opportunity we have, especially because we're doing it together. Um, that is uh, just a really great process. And I, and I think sometimes it can be for some people, you know, and I think most, it could be a bit like, oh, you know, there is a lot of change, I think, always in our organization. But I think everyone, uh, hopefully, still, uh, still loves it. No, it's fantastic. And um, just for Tenzing itself, in, say, 10 years' time, or even five years time, where do you see it going? Um, obviously you've worked for large companies before, uh, is the aim to sell the product to, to a Red Bull or to a Unilever or something like that? Or is the aim to kind of grow this particular product and then other products around it? And uh, what's the vision with it? Yes, I, you know, like, I wouldn't consider myself, you know, again, there's so many, like I'm a serial entrepreneur and I wouldn't consider myself that. I just really love this idea. Okay. And, uh, and, and I would like in that sense, like selling, I don't see that as, as not as not my goal because I just love it. And maybe it's different. I remember having and then when the corona started, and I was like, really like, oh my god, five years of hard work has come to an end. Then I was like, oh, someone would like snap it up now, I'd sell it. But then I kind of came over there. Funny if my daughter said, like, what do you know why? You built this whole thing yourself, you know. This is she's really good at that. Actually, she really put a mirror in front of my face. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, I'm gonna. So I just, I just, I love, I love it. So for me, it would be like I, my, our goal at, at the whole, with the whole Tenzing team, we want to be literally the most sustainable forward thinking business in the world. So we, that's kind of our new benchmark. So we want to kind of, and I think it's, and that's really inspiring for myself, for the team. Uh, and, you know, we want to, if someone kind of thinks what's the most, you know, sustainable business, then they just think Tenzing, you know, so where that maybe now would be maybe, be like Patagonia or you know I just want to be that that's just kind of my goal and, and actually just have a and also not just that as a from an image perspective but actually lead the way and go like you know rethink so like we're saying you know, like rethink an organization rethink you know how to like have to launch a drink uh, rethink uh, you know the way you know businesses interact with the environment and I think you know and I think you can have a big impact even as a small company because the fact that we're going to label our uh, carbon we can then kind of call out People that don't, you know, like mm. we've got nothing to hide. Why are you not putting it? And funny enough, because, you know, some footprints of big companies, they could potentially make their footprint lower than we can because they've got way more money. Yeah. But then that is scary. But at the same time, that would be a great goal, right? So if they would then start doing that, because if they would do that, then the whole packaging industry would also kind of change in their, in that, in that way. So you can change. It's really hard for us to say to our, like we've got, you know, we don't produce ourselves. So we, we source all our ingredients ourselves, all our natural ingredients. So, but then we have to go to a blender. You know, we can't, of course, make a packaging line somewhere that would cost like hundreds of millions, probably millions. But these big guys can. So, but we can be this annoying, 
a little brand that goes, hey, why is not every drink sustainable? Why is not every drink plant-based or energy low calorie, you know? So, and I think, you know, if I, if I think about the future, I think we're always small, but if you literally ask people now, and we have, we do research every year, would you rather have a plant-based energizing drink or an artificial one, you know? And then 88% says plant-based. As in, would you rather have a, you know, a drink with high calorie, low calorie? Well, that's pretty obvious. And then would you rather have a sustainable, would you rather you know, buy something from a sustainable company or a non-sustainable company? Then everyone says that. So I think, you know, it's just a habit change. I don't see why, you know, it's not a goal per se, but I don't see why we couldn't be bigger than Red Bull or Monster. You know, it's like, there's no reason. Just when, like, you know, I always think Tesla is a great example when he started electric cars and like, what's that? But now it's like the biggest, biggest value does the biggest company um, within, within cars, right? So hmm. I, I think, you know, there's no reason why, but it just takes time. It takes a lot of like chipping away and a lot of hard work in the beginning. No, that's really and, good. In the end, probably forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe forever, but no, it's a great insight in, into what you've done there. And just as a few quick questions about your kind of your life and how you manage your business day to day. How do you structure your kind of your working day? I know it's difficult now because of COVID, you've got uh, kids, I know they're 12 years old and a bit older, so a bit easier to manage from that perspective. But in terms of working day and thinking back to, say, February 2020, when the world was a bit more normal, how would you structure that? What time do you wake up? When do you have breakfast? Do you exercise uh, in the mornings, evenings, or at all? Yeah. So you mean how I've done that since Corona? Before Corona. So I'm trying to get a uh, perspective on what it was like before this kind of uh, okay. working from home was the only option. Before working from home. So when, when it was like, like, yeah. So we, um, so like I said, like, so running has been a crucial element, I would say in my, uh, uh, life's actually only actually only since I started uh, my own business. So, I, like I said, I'm 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 six foot one and I'm uh, seventy kilos. So I'm not like I'm very light. Yeah. Uh, my son is exactly like me, but like super skinny. So I, was like, I never really and I was never someone to go to the gym or like you know bulk up because I've kind of always you know. You know, when you're a teenager, you think, shit, I always wish I was less skinny. But then look, after that, you're like, I'm fine. I actually really kind of like the fact that my body is like easy and, you know, not too heavy. So I didn't have to do a lot of work for that. So I was never really into my gyms or into my cardio. I just love like fun sports, like I said, like the outdoor sports. But then when I started my own business, I really felt, and I've, I think I'm also lucky with my, my body kind of and my mind telling me what to do nearly what you know what I, I mean I really I really felt in the beginning quite fast that I needed to do something that would just get my mind off things and, and that became running and uh it was like a bit of a happy coincidence because just a good friend of mine uh, we lived in Chiswick and he was just started like this triathlon in Blenheim and he said why don't we do the triathlon in Blenheim together you know the the short one the uh, you know the what is it the quarter one or is the suit the sprint or something yeah. so what is that I think it's a 5k run, uh, 750 uh, swim and a 20k cycle or something. But at least good enough that you have to train a bit, right? Uh, so then I bought a bike and then I, and, and I, you know, didn't really like the swimming, didn't really like the, the cycling, but I loved the running. And then I, that just, and I just realized, oh my God, this really, this really, it works for me. It really helps. I'm just going for a run. And I you always have the same run next to the river in Chiswick, you know, next to the Thames. And then if you know the path, it's just, yeah, no way yeah it's just like, you can't believe you're even in London. 
know, the forest on the left, you know, the, the, the river on the right. So, um, you know, really, really cool. And so that's how, that's, that was one of the key elements of, um, you know, we did that as a team and we do, so we did, we did, um, I, I, I hate meetings. So we did, instead of having a Monday morning meeting, which we really didn't really work out, we just had Monday morning meditation. So we do like five, five or 10 minutes meditation, 10 minutes clean up the office. So we didn't have cleaners, of course, we had just a really small office. So we said, <laughs> Clean, 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 clean mind in a clean office would start the week, um, and we'd have as one someone in the team was a yoga instructor. So every Thursday we we do yoga together, uh, and we have a, and we launched our own run club. So we had Tuesday, uh, that was no, that was actually the 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 yoga was Wednesday morning, and the run club was Thursday evening. So every Thursday evening there'd be um, you know a run club, but I'd also just do you know I probably run now about like three three times a week, three four times a week. Yeah, so that was the pre. Uh, pre-corona kind of setup. yeah and did you kind of you wake up early is there something in your life that you've kind of taken from someone else or something you've noticed that's different to everyone else uh, some people get up really really early some people go to bed really late and work late or is it something like that you've got in your life that is yes there's two things i think i can say about that i think on the one hand i think it's always like over exaggerated these life hacks of entrepreneurs mm. I mean, at the end of the day, there is no real life hack, right? I have days that I just don't concentrate at all and play. Like my 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 son, my son plays Brawl Stars. I don't know if you know the game. It's like quite cool. Like you know, it's like Zuba. You know, I don't know if you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should, don't don't Google it because you might be. You might get out. <laughs> it's like one of those shooter games on your phone. And then he was playing a lot. And then at one point, I thought instead of like constantly saying to him, "Don't do it, don't do it," I thought, "Why don't I also start playing it?" And then we play together. And so actually a lot of fun but then sometimes i catch myself when i really have to do something and i don't feel like it but i start playing zuba or sorry uh, like brawl stars so you know i i'm in no way uh, this brilliant perfect concentrating person who like meditates in the morning goes to, does the cold shower and goes for a run you know sits down and concentrates for 10 hours straight <laughs> i have really bad days as well just like everyone i think but i do have i, I actually funny enough i found that since corona I've really, because otherwise I would fall into that trap. Um, I've really kind of upped my regime uh, very much so. So, and, and I had a really mentally, really difficult time when Corona started. I was really like, I was really in a bad place. I was like, you know, I thought, oh God, it's all going to come to an end. Um, I had to let people go, you know, people I love, you know, and as, as I, I think you, I think that shone through, I, really, I actually love the whole Tenzing team. We had a Zing team of 25 so students that worked part-time for us that were mainly sampling out and about sampling at running events. We did a lot with running. And of course they can't hand, there were no events and they can't hand out the can anymore. So, and they were, you know, so I had to, we had to all say, look, we can't, you know, give you any jobs. So it was really, and also just, will we make it? And I, I don't know, it was just a really tough time. And I got a coach. So I think that's also something, I have a coach ready for a long time, just like, a, and I think that's also something I would kind of, yeah highly recommend uh, what kind I of coach spoken. he's like a you know personal coach he's like a training like leadership coach um and you know i did some courses with him a long time ago i hadn't spoken into him now a couple of times but i just said Look, i need some help i'm not i'm not doing too well and i did like uh, four sessions with him and they kind of totally cleared me out sorted me out and one of the things that he also said within that uh, that stuck since and i've been doing for a year now is that uh bim hof breathing yep yeah so it's i do every so i'm actually one of my worst things i can i can i'm a bad sleeper so i had that if i like my mind 
So that's what I had in the beginning of Corona. So I just wasn't sleeping. It was like my it was proper insomnia. It was really horrible. It was like you know for I don't know for nearly for a month. Um, and then one of the things he you know recommended is like you know to be grounded because you know as you can notice probably I'm like you know can be all over the place. And then to really ground myself is crucial. And that kind of he said that Wim Hof breathing really helps with that. So I so now what I do, especially when the kids went to school here, uh, I would bring them. So, and then I'd run back. Uh, so that, that, that was my kind of day ritual, bring them, so I'd exercise every day. And it was really fun because I'd spend time with the kids. So I always try and get a, they're still 12, so they both, they can hug, they're still huggy a bit in my beds. So I'm like, yeah, I, so like a couple of minutes of my life that I love. And I, you know, while it lasts, then I bring them to school, run back, it's about five, five, six K, or I cycle them all the way to school, which is 20 K back. But then I'm actually back at like 8.30, have already kind of done my exercise. And then I've got my, my really, um, you know, I do a to-do list, which I've never done in my life. Funny enough, I've just discovered that I'm on 47 with my to-do list. But I think I need it here and like, you know, when you're alone. And then I just kind of have the working day. And then at the end, I, uh, uh, yeah, so before I go to bed, I do like my, my, my breathing. It's 11, it's 11 minutes uh, and it's amazing. It really kind of, because meditation for me just didn't really work. I couldn't, yeah didn't give me enough. I don't know. I couldn't concentrate. Or, but this breathing is like a form of meditation that kind of takes you on the journey. Have you ever done it? I, I can relate in a lot of ways. I actually, I actually did the Wim Hof, a Wim Hof course and I learned about that sort of stuff. And so I'm, I can relate in a lot of ways in terms of sleeping. And I, my, like, like you, I'm, my mind wanders a lot at night times. I can't sleep. So I've been doing a similar thing. So I was smiling because that is something I can relate to. So Yeah. And it's really kind of really sorted me out. To be mm. honest, I've been sleeping brilliantly and I sometimes I just do so like I would never that's the cool thing I think with you can't do and I, I'm a big believer in that he it's one of those classes and everyone says but you can't go running because you think you have to hmm. right and if you don't get some actual benefits out of it like I use my running just to get my mind off things and also feel fit right that healthy body healthy mind and you can't stick to this Wim Hof breathing every evening if you don't actually get something out of it. It's like it's 11 minutes of your life every day. So if you don't actually get a benefit, you're not going to stick. In the beginning, you have to kind of stick with something, right? Try something, like try running, try this Wim Hof thing. Just stick with it for like a month, you know, or a couple of weeks and then see, because I'm a lot better at it now. In the beginning, my mind would wander off a bit as well. I actually love the breathing. I like, I like the breath holds, you know, so you have to breathe 36, 30 times in out and the breath holes I loved from the beginning I just didn't hit, like the breathing as much but now it's the whole thing has just become uh, lovely so I think you've really got to find something that suits you and kind of you know fits with what you you enjoy and get something out of perfect I'm, I'm coming to the, the end of the interview now and I've got uh, a few quick fire questions but before that I kind of wanted to ask you um so do you have any mentors or people that you've like looked up to in your career? Obviously you've worked in high-end companies, a lot of different various things. Aside from say family, do you have anyone you look up to and think I want to be like them or I want to take bits of their life and apply it to mine or I, I can really see myself in that person? Is there anyone like that? Um, yeah, I, I just talked to the other day, that's why she comes up. So there was the, my first... So a couple of things, I've always been really lucky. Unilever had a lot of uh, women, especially like, I think they don't have a lot of women actually in the, on board level. Uh, but on, uh, let's say where, when I started, all my bosses were women and I've always actually thought, 
on average, they've been a lot better than my male bosses. So I, that's all. I think what I'm just lucky in that sense that there, I know still people that have never had a female boss and therefore actually think they wouldn't be as good. You know, so that's why I'm extremely lucky to have seen that straight from the bat. My first uh, bosses were, they were actually all amazing. Uh, and then there was one, the marketing director when I came in, uh, she was Connie Brahms, and she is actually now. I think one of the first ever maybe female board member of Unilever. So she's now the head of, uh, she's in the board, head of marketing and digital in the, in the Unilever board. And, but she was my boss. Well, to be honest, she was the, like the boss of my boss, right? So, uh, but she, and what was really great about her, because I remember when you start working for the first time, um, you really don't know if you can, if you're actually capable of anything, right? You just, you finish your uni, you've done, you know, odd jobs, um, but never actually worked for a real job. So you come in and you just don't know if you can actually work, right? So it's like, you know, it's going to be quite new. So and she was always very good at giving me a lot of confidence and, and, and she'd come in, she'd really inspired me. She really hit the right notes with me, how to inspire me. And she saw, I, I could see she saw my talents, which made me feel really good about myself and show my talents and work hard. And she was always, yeah, in that sense, I think that's what she, she would never really like go about, like, oh, you're so good, but she'd go, I've got this project for you. I think you'd be good at it. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, but they were always also products that projects that I was indeed good at. Mm. So she really saw me kind of big and she saw me, uh, which I think she did with everyone. She saw people in their, you know, power. And also I remember that was really cool. When, when I left, she did my uh, goodbye speech and it was really touching because she said, um, she said, I think um, when I think of you, there's one word that comes to mind and it's creation. And a lot of people will see you as being creative, but I see you as a creator because you don't only think of things, you actually make them happen. And even now I get like quite touched by that <laughs> because it was just such a beautiful thing to say. And I actually use that a lot when I also, after I did it to, I used that actually my own team, I just give them one word because actually giving someone one word, you can very often do that. If you really think what's the essence of one person in one word, it's actually quite a beautiful thing. So she was, uh, yeah, she was very, uh, influential and uh, just an amazing person kind of shows also where kind of she ended up now <laughs> no, it's, it's yeah. fascinating i actually remember the whole quote as well what she said to you obviously very impactful in your life there but yeah, yeah a long time ago yeah is there any books that you read or you have read or audio books or people like that in like a self-help business kind of world that you have read over your life that you think um have helped you in your journey or that are helping you currently in your journey um, yeah, I went through this, you know, I think when you're like, you know, in the, I think probably everyone, when I was like end of twenties, begin thirties, I was really kind of in the searching phase and reading a lot of different books and, and, and interesting, I did this kind of course that really helped me uh, a lot of the time. So that was like a big, it's hard to explain what it really was, but it was like three days internal and like, you know, it was really quite intense about your personal life and about your fears and judgments and that was probably the one that helped me most. But I think from purely from a book perspective, um, I, I'm just a big, big believer in being really curious, right? I, I actually am an extremely curious person. And when I meet someone new, I tend to like, you know, obviously, you know, this is more an interview of you, but I think in our, if we just meet a normal uh, at a festival, imagine. <laughs> yeah. that would be so cool uh and i'd be asking you a lot like you know how you build this podcast or how you know i just love asking people and learning and uh, so i think that's i think that should be a really that's a crucial you know i very often get like i'm asking a lot of people a lot of stuff and they didn't ask me anything back I'm like, well i could actually probably uh 
maybe give you some value. But uh, it's it's really funny that uh, you know. So I think being just extremely curious and reading a lot and seeing what kind of stuff. So one of the podcasts I listen to now that I find very very inspiring is Philosophize This. Do you know it? I'm not, but I, I do like podcasts, yeah. so I'll listen to that one. Yeah, it's it, it's like I've always loved philosophy, but he like he explains it in a really cool way. They're quite short episodes. That I, I always do them on my runs. Unfortunately, there's not. I've listened to them all. So I also, I also kind of Patreon. I pay for everything because I you know he's an amazing. It's called Stephen West, and he just talks about media. So you know about how that influences us. And it's like you know, and he uses that. He takes about like a topic. He never talks about current topics, but he does in a sneaky kind of way. I always think you know. Now he talks about like the impact of media has, which I then think he'd probably talk about like the whole Corona media side as well. But he doesn't mention it then. So it's very very inspiring. So I, I think that's one of that's actually my favorite podcast. I would say. Um, that I would highly recommend. Okay. And to be honest, I'm, you know, I don't like the Wim Hof has become a bit of a cult, I think, yeah. which is not a bad thing. I know it's the same thing, but I, for me, you know, that breathing. Uh, and I also do the cold showers. I did that before, you know, and I, and I also, when I learned about it, I always thought it's just a fad, this cold shower thing. But uh, I do do it every morning. And I think it is also, it just helps with that grounding. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole principle of a cold shower and of the breathing is just like getting into your body as opposed to obviously your mind being all over the place and just if you're showering cold for like a minute you just you can't you're not thinking you know and he says that extremely well he says like when he started his he said yeah I was always on a journey and then he I think he started his bit more you probably know better if you did the chorus and he was like somewhere and it was like icy water like it was like in the winter and he was drawn to him and he said my mind was all over the place and then the cold silenced me he said which is such a good point because if you go into like ice water or like cold shower, you can't go, oh, what was I thinking again? What am I going to do tomorrow? And you're like, oh, what the hell's happening? You know? It's one of those great ways to set your mind off things, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. So, and I think that's such an important thing in this world. It's always been really important and then it gets any more important with all the distractions going on. So again, yeah, I think he's quite, quite cool. Right. I've got a few quick ones now just to end this with. Um, Favorite book? Favorite book. Oh. Yeah, I, I read a lot. I couldn't be able. I couldn't be able to say one one favorite book. Actually, uh, okay. Um, is is it is, is <laughs> it a couple or? There's a lot. There's a lot. See, there's a lot of them. <laughs> give, 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 us, give us a shout of one book that you like. Um, it could be any. Let me think. Let me think. Oh yeah, which I uh, that's one I really enjoyed actually is the um, uh, shoe dog. Shoe dog, yeah, great book, yeah, great book. And I, I was really funny because I I gave it to my wife afterwards, and I knew at the end, and she was like weeping at the end as well. This is such an emotional book, yeah. right? And I love. I, I thought it was such so amazingly written about. He basically just says it. He's like a useless manager, right? He had this one guy sending him all these letters and he just, I didn't know what to do. So I just ignored him. And, um, and then the whole work-life balance thing for me is a real funny. And I actually think it's not in line with the Nike brand because Nike brand basically, I, was, I actually wrote a little article on that on LinkedIn about a year ago when there was about sacrifice everything that about you know that campaign and i hate that campaign because i think it's just useless why would you sacrifice everything to run a hundred meter dash faster than anyone else like literally what's the point 
And what do they even mean with sacrificing everything, right? So, and, and if you think about Phil Nice himself, he regrets sacrificing everything and lost his son. And he would have—he just literally says, I wish I spent more time with my family. Um, so he, he shares that really well, the ups and downs of the journey. He also worked for 10 years next to, like he was an accountant, right? And I, my three is like, you know, my, my son came in already twice and during the talks there. But I think, you know, I just love my family. My family will be always number one. Uh, so I, I've, I've also, also, yes, it's hard work and yes, it's intense, but I would say my, I, I didn't work harder as my own business than I used to work at my companies, at the companies I work for, interestingly enough, because you can actually decide your own agenda more. Uh, and actually the first two years, three years, I worked from home. So, you know, that was, was pre-corona. So I just saw them grow up more than I ever would between six and 10, which is an amazing age um to, to be with so yeah i think that that's a really important book in that sense that it really shows the struggle of it and also just don't don't sacrifice everything no definitely I, i'm going to end the interview, interview now because it's been fascinating talking to you and i've taken up enough of your valuable time but thank you so much for the insights you've given today and i'm sure someone watching this or listening to this will find it really insightful into how you started your career and how uh tenzing is going to be in the future as well so thank you for that cool well really nice talking to you matt for more information on Tenzing, check out their website, tenzingnaturalenergy.com. And for more information about Hub, check out his Instagram at hubvanbockel, H-U-I-B-V-A-N-B-O-C-K-E-L. And that's it for this episode of the On Your Marks podcast. If you'd like more information on GW Active, check out gwactive.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us again soon.